Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. I wonder if we think of of being a Christian, it's pretty different and it's pretty weird most of the time. I wonder how many of us here, I remember when I was at school, I was very much not a Christian and I used to look at the Christians and they were weird. And I don't know if they were just weird because they were actually following Jesus or they were just weird people at the time. I thought they were weird people. I'm not sure now if they were weird people or if they were just following Jesus and if I would consider myself to be weird now. But following Jesus, if, if it's not weird, it's different. There are some things we do different. We hope different. We believe different. And as we grow as Christians, I, I wonder if you kind of had to think of the normal Christian life, what that would look like for you. There's a, a famous book, and if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to read it, called The, the Normal Christian Life. The disciplines, the actions the habits that are meant to be normal for us as believers. And perhaps if you're kind of growing in Christ or there's somebody that you're walking a road with and they're growing in Christ, what are the things that we are building into their life? Probably prayer, worship, fellowship, just the importance of being with others, generosity, servitude, all elements, all Part of the Christian life, things that we want to embrace and we want to encourage others who are growing in the Lord to embrace. I wonder how many of us, if we sort of had to draw a list of, you know, what are the important Christian disciplines that I need to embrace and grow in? I wonder how many of us would put fasting on that list. And so this morning, I'm wanting us just to think a little bit again about fasting. We're going to be fasting, and I want to invite you to join us for the month of February, I'll give a little bit more detail around that as the message goes on this morning. But a little bit of just background of why are we fasting? What is this fasting thing all about? I know sitting here today, there are probably some who have fasted for long periods of time. And perhaps some of us here kind of, when you miss your mid-morning snack, you consider that a fast and haven't fasted for more than that. We've probably got that full spectrum found some interesting quotes around from the early church. There's a, a, a document which right at the end of the first century, so very close to Jesus' time here on earth, the Didache, they put together this document, Didache, which means teaching, and it's sort of the first, in a sense, catechism. The first, if we had to summarize what it means to follow Jesus, what are we teaching people? And they put down sort of a whole bunch of important things that we need to believe and follow if we're following Jesus. And in this document, they, there's this interesting quote. It says, I think it should be up on the notes, let not your fast be with the hypocrites, for they fast on the second and the fifth day of the week. In other words, Tuesday and Thursday. But do your fast on the fourth and the preparation day. In other words, for the early church, fasting wasn't an abnormal thing. As a matter of fact, it was sort of 
part of the early church to fast for two days a week. And for them, it would be the Wednesday and the Friday. It would be different. And they say, don't fast kind of when the heathens are fasting. Don't associate with the hypocrites when they fast. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're going to be fasting two days a week. That was the norm for the early church. As a matter of fact, that document actually mentions a couple of other things about fasting. It says that you should pray and fast for those who persecute you. That was kind of part of the early church norm. It wasn't just pray for them. They kind of leveled up from what Jesus himself had before us. And they even say that if you want to be baptized, you should spend the two days beforehand fasting. And everybody who's attending the baptism must fast too. And so fasting in the early church wasn't a weird thing. It was sort of part and parcel of their daily life. We jump forward about 500 years, 400 years to Epiphanius, who was a bishop and a bishop in, in Cyprus and in Italy who wrote a lot. And in some of his writings, we find this interesting quote. He says, who does not know? And I'm going to be guilty and say, I did not know until I read this in this preparation this week. Who does not know? that the fast of the fourth and the sixth days of the week are observed by Christians throughout the world. I did not know. He was speaking to me. But it was general practice, and from what he's writing here, not just even amongst believers, but unbelievers knew that Christians would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. It is just what they did as part of their early lifestyle John Calvin, one of the early reformers, he wrote sort of in the, the late, early 1500s, let us say something about fasting, because many, for, wanting, for want of knowing its usefulness, undervalue its necessity, and some reject it as almost superfluous, while on the other hand, where the use of it is not well understood, it easily degenerates into superstition. Holy and legitimate fasting is directed to three ends. For we practice it either as a restraint on the flesh to preserve it from licentiousness, or as a preparation for prayers and pious meditations, or as a testimony of our humiliation in the presence of God when we are desirous of confessing our guilt before Him. His contemporary Martin Luther, he said this, of fasting, I say this, it is right to fast frequently in order to subdue and control the body. For when the stomach is full, the body does not serve for preaching, for praying, or studying, or for doing anything else that is good. Under such circumstances, God's word cannot remain. But one should not fast with a view to meriting something by it as by a good work. And there's so much, obviously, in these teachings as they continue to write. The point I'm trying to make here is that for early Christians, fasting was part and parcel of, of following Christ. Whether it be the early church and the Didache, which says clearly we fasted, or 500 years later, everyone knows Christians fast on the first, on a Wednesday and Friday of every week to later on Calvin and Luther. And so we can carry on as we look at our church fathers as they all wrote about the discipline of fasting. And yet if we today were to make a list of what are the important disciplines for believers, I think for many of us, fasting would probably not be on that list and not high up on that list if it was on the list. And so I'm wanting to encourage us a little bit this morning to inspire us to think perhaps a little bit differently about fasting. 
In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking here sort of in the Sermon on the Mount, and there are three when you statements. He says, when you pray, and then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And I think we're all pretty clear the assumption isn't that it's not an if you pray, it's a when you pray. We should be praying as part of our life. And then he ends off and he says, when you give. And he gives instructions as how we should give. And I think as Christians, we all understand he's not saying if you give, but when you give. In other words, giving should be part and parcel of what we do. And in the middle of those two, we read this passage here from verse 16. He says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people would admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth that it is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, and then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. And so a, a couple of things I want to highlight just for us from this text before we carry on, and that's firstly that there is a reward to fasting. There is a reward. Jesus says here that when you fast, once again, not an if you fast, when you fast, here are some guidelines to fasting. He says when you fast, you've got two options. You can fast so that the people around you look at you and say, wow, what a holy person, what a righteous person, what a great person. And if that's what you're looking for and they give it to you, you get your reward. Or you can fast for a reward from heaven. But there is a reward from our fasting. And as we fast, and I'm hoping that as we kind of head into February, some of us will take this on board. When we pray, when we fast, when we give, that just like as in the early Christians, I, I wonder, you know, we haven't been in this year so long. Some of you haven't even fasted this whole year. I know kind of it's a little bit late to make that joke. Kind of I do that every year with my kids. You know how it goes. You haven't even brushed your teeth this whole year yet. You know, on the 1st of January, all of those jokes that everyone hopefully makes everywhere. If you don't, you start, need to start making that joke on the 1st of January every year. I haven't even eaten this whole year yet. We haven't bride this whole year. I haven't swum this whole year. You haven't even showered this whole year. Hopefully by now you have showered this year. Though, When you pray, when you give, when you fast, there is a reward. And God holds that before us. That when we, and that's what Martin Luther said in his quote. We don't do it like we would do a good work to get a reward. But we do it because there is something that happens in our fasting. So what is fasting? Simply put, fasting is abstaining from all or some kinds of food or drink. That's just a straight-up dictionary definition. Abstaining from some kinds or all types of food or drink. And obviously in Scripture there are a multitude of fasts. Hopefully we'll be able to identify and remember someone fasting somewhere in Scripture. Perhaps the most obvious, the most famous is Jesus who fasted. And for 40 days he went into the desert, and perhaps in a, a follow-up message in a couple of weeks' time, we'll look at some of these fasts and what they represent and how God worked in their lives. We don't have time to unpack all of that this morning, but Jesus fasted for 40 days, and interestingly, the text tells us there, and afterwards, he was hungry. I think I would be pretty hungry after 40 days of fasting. I've never fasted for 40 days, but I will assume I would be hungry. 
But interestingly, it doesn't say he was thirsty. And so what most scholars take from that is that in that time of fasting, Jesus still drank most likely water in the period, but even while he wasn't eating. Daniel, he fasted at least twice that we know of in Scripture. The one time he fasted from what the Bible calls delicacies, meat and wine, and that was for three weeks. That was in a specific time when he was seeking the Lord's face. There's another time where him and his three friends who sort of got the names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they fasted, and this was a prolonged fast. They had been chosen as sort of the elite within their group of Hebrews to go and serve in the court of the Babylonian king, and the Babylonian king said, you can eat of my food and my, drink of my wine. And they were like, no, we can't do that. That would be wrong for us to eat a foreign king's food. We need to remain holy and righteous to our God. And so they said, can we eat just vegetables? Uh, did I write here? Yeah, just vegetables and only drink water. And the guy who was appointed over them said, no, because I'm going to be in trouble because you meant to be strong. And so Daniel and the guy said to him, well, let us just, give us 10 days. Can we try this for 10 days? If we look like we're losing weight and we're getting weaker, we're not looking healthy, then we'll go back to eating the king's food. After 10 days, they looked healthier, they were fitter. And then for a prolonged period, probably as long as they served in the king's court, they only ate vegetables and drank water. And so that was an extended type of fast. We know that Esther, it's interesting, in the same chapter, there are two fasts that happen, and we normally focus on the second one. The first one is when the people of Israel, they heard that they were about to be annihilated as a people. The king had given permission for them to be annihilated, and their immediate response was a response of fasting and prayer. And then Mordecai comes to Esther, and she's the queen at the time. She's a Hebrew, and he says to her, listen, don't you want to go and speak to the king? Stand up for us. Do something about the situation. And she's like a little bit hesitant at first, and he's like, well, just remember, you're also going to die. And that swings her to his side, and she realizes, okay, she needs to do something. And she sends a message to all of the Hebrew people, to the entire Israel nation, and she says, for three days, do not eat or drink anything for three days, day or night. And so there's a different type of fasting. And so we see here everyone, and there are many, many more. I just highlighted these as some of the more commonly known ones. Everyone here who fasted, fasted different. Jesus seemed to not eat, but to drink. Esther didn't drink anything or eat anything. Daniel ate different things at different time. One time, not delicacies. The other time, not the king's food. And so there doesn't seem to be a specific right way to fast, except that there is a giving up. There is a type of sacrifice. In Scripture, at least every time there is fasting, it touches the tummy. There's sort of a, a modern view, and, and this isn't necessarily wrong, but we don't see it in Scripture, that Fasting is abstaining from other things that are not related to food and drink. And I guess there's value in that too as well. I'll touch on that in a moment. But inherently in Scripture, every time there is fasting, there is a touching of the tummy. Fasting, I think it's important for us to remember, is, is not only about the not eating and the not drinking. It's not about the physical. That would simply be dieting. See, the difference between fasting and dieting is fasting is not only about not eating and not drinking. 
It is very much about what we do do while we are fasting and we are drinking. We are deliberately abstaining from food and drink, but we are also deliberately seeking the Lord's face. We are deliberately spending time in the Word, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship during our fast. We are not saying, I'm just for whatever period, not eating or drinking, whatever it is, what I, and then carrying on with my life as normal. What I am saying is I'm not eating and drinking, and perhaps practically I'm devoting some of the time that I would have taken to eating and drinking. I'm now devoting that to worship, to study, to meditation on the Word, and to prayer. In other words, I am, instead of eating, actively seeking God. It is possible, as I mentioned earlier, and this isn't necessarily bad, I'm not throwing this away, and I think there's a lot of merit to this, to also to abstain from anything else that gratifies the flesh for a period that we are fasting, whether it be television or games, social media, entertainment, whatever else the Spirit may lead for you. So before we sort of look at at one or two more sort of important theological elements and passages about fasting, I want to just hold before you that as we go into February, I want to invite you, I want to call you, I want to say, let us fast together for February. And sort of in, in three ways that I want to hold it before you. The first one is fast something for the month. Chocolates or coffee or social media or television, meat. I know for some of us that would be huge. Um, fast something for the month. Then on Wednesdays, because the early church did it and we happen to have small groups that meet on Wednesdays as well. So let's take Wednesdays to fast for the day. In other words, we eat dinner on Tuesday evening, and then you brush your teeth because that's healthy. You go to bed, you wake up on Wednesday morning, and you still brush your teeth, but you don't eat. And you don't eat Wednesday lunch, and then Wednesday evening, when we come together at small group, we have breakfast, breakfast. And I want to invite you to join us for that for the first three weeks in February. Something for the whole month. The first three Wednesdays to take the day to fast together. We come together, we break it together in the evening. And then the last three days in February, which if I'm not mistaken, is a Saturday and a Sunday and a Monday this year. To fast for three full days, if at all possible. To set that time time aside. I know in the past we've taken the Friday, that we've ended on the Friday. This year we'll confirm this next week, so this is subject to change based on our our leaders' meeting, but the current sort of thinking is to take the Saturday, the Sunday, and the Monday to fast together. And then we can take time in our our Sunday service to pray together. We're going to have a global time of prayer. Some of you joined us for the Zoom prayer we did when there was the riots, and we had like, I think, almost a thousand people on a Zoom call praying together and to take time and to pray together on that Saturday, most likely. And then the Monday evening, to come together to break the fast at the end of February. So I want to invite you to join us for that. I realize that physically fasting for f- or food isn't possible for all of us for medical reasons, for scheduling, whatever it may be that will make the Wednesday unworkable. Um, but I want to invite, fast what you are able to fast. I promise you no one is going to ask you, what are you fasting and what are you fasting from, apart from an accountability, can I help you in this type of context, which I think is healthy in a small group, but not in a judgment way, not in a you should be fasting way. 
So you decide between you and the Lord, what do you feel like fasting? What do you think the Spirit is leading you to fast? What do you think the Spirit is leading you to surrender for this period in order to seek the Lord's face? And then I guess the good question as well is why fast? And specifically for us in this time, why are we fasting? What is the value in fasting? And as I said, there's, we could spend hours literally speaking about this, unpacking different types of fast and what fasting does and all of that. But I do want us to read Matthew 9 together this morning, from verse 14 to 17. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and they asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with a groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. So let's just pause there quickly. I believe, obviously, the groom is no longer with us. Jesus has been taken away from us, and now is the time for us as followers of Jesus to be fasting. Fasting is a, it's an intensification of our prayer. It's a little bit, I read one of the quotes, can't remember the exact wording, but it came down to this. Fasting is like putting an exclamation mark at the end of our prayer. And in the next few weeks, I'll be teaching more on fasting. But I also want to say fasting is one of those things in the, the spirit that's a little bit like tithing and I guess like baptism as well, that you don't fully understand it to do it. A tithing is an act of faith that I, I give unto God and I trust Him, even though I don't quite fully understand how the mechanics of this financial thing in this spirit works, except that Scripture says it and experience shows that it works. And fasting is the same. I'm not sure exactly why our not eating puts an exclamation mark towards the end of our prayer, except that it does, except that it allows us to engage with the Spirit differently. So it's an intensification of our prayer. Andrew Murray said, prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. We are willing to sacrifice. It's a way of saying, God, I'm, I'm wanting to give up, God. God, I'm willing to surrender of myself to seek that which is for you. And then the important bit just for us this morning, this, we've probably read this often. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard this preached perhaps from time to time. I've never, until I started preparing for this message, seen this link, that this passage we're going to read now is actually given specifically in the context of fasting. So Jesus is just, the, John's disciples have come to him and said, we all fast, you guys don't fast, why don't you fast? And Jesus is, because when you're at the wedding, it's not the right time to fast. Now you enjoy the time with the bridegroom. But there's a time when the bridegroom is gone, when the party is over, then it's a good time to fast. And so the bridegroom goes, and watch what he says, sort of as the very next verse. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, 
leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the old skins would burst from the pressure, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins so that both are preserved. And I always missed, up until I was preparing this week, that new wine and new wineskins, Jesus is specifically speaking about fasting. He is specifically saying that our fasting should look different to Old Testament fasting. That there was a fasting in the Old Testament, and we saw some examples of them now, but there's an important difference because every fast in the Old Testament was sort of born out of a sense, a hunger, a desperation for God to come and do something. Esther and them, they fasted. Why are Esther and them fasting? They are fasting because their nation is about to destroy. They need Jesus to come and intervene. David fasts. His son is sick. It's a judgment, one of the few times that God brings judgment very clearly upon a child. And he brings judgment on the child. And David fasts and he prays. He's like, God, please forgive my sin. Save this child. David is fasting for a couple of days like that. So it's always sort of from that end. We're fasting because we need God to come and do something. Or it's fasting as a demonstration of repentance. An acknowledgement of guilt, a, a pleading for God to come and wash our sin away. Our Old Testament fasting was an expression of brokenheartedness and desperation, usually over sin, over sin or some danger. It was something you did when things were not going the way you want them to. In a sense, it's a call for Christ to come. It's God, please come. New Testament fasting is different because God has already come. Our New Testament fasting, we're not fasting for God to come and do something. We are fasting because God has come to do something. That doesn't mean that there isn't an element of repentance. There isn't an element of bringing our sin and cleansing and sanctification. There's a, a whole sort of group of people in the Old Testament who would live lives that involved fasting from the day of birth. Samson is a great example. He was not meant to cut his hair often or ever. He was not meant to ever drink wine. And that wasn't because there was a superpower locked up in his hair. It was a type of consecration. It was a type of fast, a type of surrender to say, God, I am surrendering to who you are. God, I trust you. And there was a, a whole chapter, I think it's Leviticus 17, that is all about that type of setting ourselves apart sanctification. So there's a new wineskin that God wants us to embrace in our fasting. The, the flow, the discussion here for me is so interesting. Disciples, John's disciples come to Jesus and say, you guys are not fasting. Like we're fasting. Why? Jesus says, because the bridegroom is here. And when the bridegroom is here, you don't fast, but he'll be leaving and then they'll fast. And when they fast, we don't fast in the old way. We don't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. The wineskin, the method, the nature, the heart behind fasting is going to look different going forward. So now we are fasting because the bridegroom has already come. Now we are fasting as a fast of victory, a fast of overcoming. It's a fast of freedom. In a sense, it's a longing for more of what we have already tasted. 
An Old Testament fast was a fast of desperation of God, please come and do something. A New Testament fast is, God, I've tasted and I've seen, and it is good, and we need more. And so we bring our heart and surrender before God. We bring our heart, we lay it down before Him. John Piper writes of this, he says, The newness of our fasting is this. Its intensity comes not because we have never tasted the wine of Christ's presence, but because we have tasted it so wonderfully by His Spirit and cannot now be satisfied until the consummation of joy arrives. We must have all He promised and as much now as possible. So our fasting is different. Our fasting is not one of pleading that God would come. Our fasting is, God, you've already come, and it is glorious, Lord. Everything that you hold before us, God, as we fast, we want to step in to that. Fasting also is an acknowledgement, perhaps for some of us a reminder of, it's an engagement with the spiritual. For me, one of the important things about fasting is it's just a reminder there are some things that only God can do. There are some things that are beyond even the best human efforts we cannot. And God, as I'm fasting, I'm reminding myself that even the best human strength cannot do what God, you need to do. Perhaps I'm praying for a friend to come to Christ. Perhaps like we were praying for that Lillian earlier. God, that which needs to happen in her eye, only you can do. And fasting is a reminder of that. Fasting is a reminder that, God, sometimes I need to deliberately step away from my own strength and my own gratification to remind myself, God, that only you can do this. It's a surrender to God. Some things only He can do. We read in in Daniel's example there, the second time when he fasted, we get this great sort of insight in the Spirit. I think it's Daniel chapter 10. It's one of the few times in Scripture where we get incredible view of what happens in the spirit. And the crazy thing is when Daniel started to pray and fast, he set in motion a series of events in the spirit. Daniel had the power to engage with the spirit. When Daniel started praying, literally archangels started moving. And they were moving through the different realms of heaven. And as they kind of The angel even says to Daniel, I was held up by the prince of Persia coming to you to answer your prayer that you kind of this thing that started when you began to pray and to fast. And then he says, I was held up by the prince of Persia and the archangel Michael, he had to come and help me in the battle against the prince of Persia. Something happens. There's a reminder for us. I think sometimes too often in our modern world, we forget that we live in a world that has a powerful spiritual dimension. That there are spirits and demons, powers and principalities at work, not only at our lives individually, but over our communities and over our cities. And fasting reminds us to engage with the spirit. Fasting reminds us that everything isn't natural. Fasting reminds us that doesn't matter how much I gym, how strong I make my body, how healthy I eat, how right I get things according to the doctors, I'm still not strong enough to solve the human challenges. 
And so there are, are three things that as we're going to be fasting in February that I, I'm trusting God would make us hungry for. More than hungry for food, that God would stir in our hearts to be hungry for three things going forward. The first one is that we would be hungry for His presence. James 4 verse 8 says, Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And fasting is one of those ways in which we realign our loyalties to God. And As we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. In our gatherings here, in our meetings, in our small groups, in our prayer time, in our individual Bible study, that there would be a hunger. God, we need your presence. One of the just passages that has been just resonating in my heart over and over for the last while is Moses. God speaks to him and says, take the people of Israel out to go and I think it was a war or something. And Moses' response for me is one of those things that I don't get, but I need to grow in. Moses says, but God, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't take us from here. And why I don't get it, because God has said go, so obviously he's with them. But Moses just has this desperation for God. God, I just want to be sure that if we go, you're going. Because if you're going, not going with us, don't take us up from here. God, we want, we need, God, we're hungry for your presence. And so as we head into February, as hopefully you'll be fasting with us, I'm trusting that God would make us hungry for him, for his presence. Another interesting fast we read is in Acts chapter 13. In the church in Antioch, there are a bunch of people praying, the prophets and the teachers of the church of Antioch. In Syria, there's a guy called Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius, who was from Cyrene, Manaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. That we would be hungry for God's leading. That we would be hungry for His presence, but we would be hungry for Him to direct us. See, if you kind of live into this example a little bit, these prophets, these teachers, I don't think they're just there fasting for the sake of fasting. I don't think they're only for, I think they're also fasting. God, speak to us. God, what do you want from us, God? God, should we start a worldwide missions endeavor that's going to transform the, the known globe at the time? Should we send people away who are going to go into the world and preach the gospel and plant churches in previously completely unreached areas? How are we going to pay for that? How are we going to put all of this thing together? How are we going to fund them? Who are we going to send God? I think they're seeking God's face here. They're bringing specific praise to God. They're saying, God, what do you want from us to do? God, there are a bunch of things on our heart, things that we want to do, things that we think would be good to do. But God, what do you want us to do? And as they're worshiping, as they're fasting, they're coming together, they're seeking the Lord's face. God speaks to them, gives them a plan. And then what do they do? Then they continue fasting. They worship more. They pray more. They fast more. They get clarity. They get understanding around what God is saying for them to do. And then they pray 
for Saul and Barnabas. And if you read the New Testament and the rest of the book of Acts, that the rest literally is history. It changed, it shaped, it formed the modern world like we know it today was this prayer meeting, this moment of prayer and fasting changed history as they came together and they sought the Lord's face. I pray that we would be hungry for His presence, that we would be hungry for His leading. Bring specific prayers and questions before Him. And these aren't the type of fasts that we do sort of forever. You fast for a time. You get the answer. You do it. And then you repeat. And we fast. And that's why for us to fast once a year as a global prayer and fast some years we do it twice a year. It's an important moment of pausing and stopping and doing what the Antioch church did. God, give us clarity. Give us direction. And the third one why I just sense God would have us fast at this time specifically is to be hungry for His power. To be hungry for Him to touch Lillian and to heal her eye. To be hungry for God to move in our midst. In Mark 9, we see Jesus speaking to His disciples. There's a situation where the disciples are trying to cast out a demon. They're not having much success. They're drawing a crowd. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. He became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. When he came into his house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing, by prayer and fasting. There is an engagement with the power of God when we engage with fasting. There's a dimension of the power of God that can only be accessed through fasting. And like I said earlier, we don't always understand the dynamics of how things work in the Spirit. Jesus hasn't said, this is why you have to pray and fast for you to be able to cast out the demon but he said, you have to pray and fast to be able to cast out this demon. And so as I'm trusting God for us, in a sense, to step up in a revelation and understanding and authority and anointing and the power of God, fasting is key to that. God, we want to be hungry for you, for your presence, first and foremost. God, we want to be hungry for your leading, Lord. Lord, we want to be hungry for your power to be poured out in our midst. Lord, that there would be less of us and more of you evident in our lives. As we go, as we minister, as we pray for our friends, God, we want to have more power, Lord God, more authority, more conviction in what we do, Lord, but also see your hand at work more clearly in all that we do. So in February, I want to invite you to fast with us. Something for the month, Wednesdays with your small group, the last three days of February, all together, fasting, coming together to say, Lord, we're hungry for you. We're hungry for your leading, Lord. We're hungry for your power. And praying, obviously, for your individual situation, for the circumstances in your life. Maybe you need leading 
God, would you speak to me about a career decision, about a relationship? God, the schools that I must send my kids to. God, the decisions that I need to make for the year. God, I need your leading. God, I want your presence in our home, amongst our family, and my kids, Lord. I, I want to see your presence as part of who we are and what we do. And God, I want to fast that your presence would dwell here in this home. God, I want to see your power at work in our lives, in my life, individually. And we're going to be praying for those things. But I also want to ask that we would also, in our prayer, pray for us together. Pray that we would be led by God to accomplish His purposes. And so with all of that as a background, and we'll, we'll expand on this and probably get some prayer points to you guys on the WhatsApp group. If you're not on our WhatsApp group yet, we've got an updates group where from time to time we send through just updates, things happening in church. We'd love to invite you. I think outside there is a little QR code that you can just scan with your phone. It'll add you to the group. But as we close, just four very quick things that I want to just ask us to pray with. Firstly, as I mentioned, that God's presence would be with us in every single one of our gatherings. I love for the day, there's this beautiful passage when the first temple, Solomon's temple, was dedicated to the Lord. And the Bible says the priests couldn't stand. They literally had to lie down in their ministry because the presence of the Lord was so powerful in their midst. That God's presence would overwhelm us every time we come together. Whether we come together in large groups or in small group, in whichever capacity we come together, that God's presence would be there in a beautiful and in a powerful way. Secondly, I want to ask that you'd pray with us specifically for our small groups, that they would be a place of authentic, Christ-centered fellowship. That our small groups would just continue to flourish. Some of our small groups are doing phenomenally well. And it's just great to see those relationships that God will continue to breathe over them. And then for those of us who aren't in small groups, or perhaps our small groups are struggling a bit, that we would take time during the month of February and say, Jesus, come and do what you can, what only you can do in our small groups. Pray that God would save souls. I'm not sure if we still have some cards left, but towards the end of last year, we handed out some prayer cards and we asked that you would take some and write names of specific people that you are praying for. Put it somewhere where you can see it regularly and pray every time you see that card. Make a deliberate point to say, God, I want to pray for some people that they would meet with you. There may be some people who know Jesus, but hopefully on that list, there would be also be at least one or two people who do not yet know Christ who need to come to an understanding of the grace of Christ, that the bridegroom has come, that Jesus has died on the cross. He has defeated sin and death. He has created, paved a way for us back into his presence. He has accomplished all of that. The bridegroom has come and he has defeated death. He has risen from the grave. And there may be some people in our lives who have not yet come to the knowledge of that truth. I want to pray that once again, as, as a church, would be a place where souls get saved. Where people who are far from Christ come and meet Him. Don't just hear nice messages, but meet with Jesus and experience being born again by the Spirit. And then the fourth and the last thing I'd love to ask us to pray for together is that God would raise up, even here in our midst, 
church planters. People who want to put up their hand to say, Jesus, I want to plant a church. I want to lead a church. I want to step out into ministry like Paul and like Barnabas or Saul and Barnabas in this example. God, that you would stir in people's hearts just a willingness, a desire on the people that he's called to step up and to step out. Just today, we're having our first Chofar Claymont service. It's a small town near Hermanus in the Western Cape where for the first time, they're having a service in that town. They've never had a Chofar service there. God's called us to plant churches. Planting churches takes a whole bunch of things. Can I just say, one of the reasons why I'm excited about being here, because I believe in prophetic significance. I believe there are mantles. I believe there are things that get handed over from generation to generation. And I've spent the large part of my adult life reading about church, studying church, praying about church. And I am not aware of another church group that has planted and ministered to a nation as successfully as the Dutch Reformed Church of South Africa. You can go to definitely every town, in many towns, every suburb in that town, and there is a Dutch Reformed Church that they planted, that they built, that they acquired, that they raised up people, that they were able to minister to and through. While we were packing chairs just in the last week, you'll notice every week the chairs are changing. That's going to continue to happen for the next couple of weeks. But there were some chairs at the back. The old wooden chairs looked beautiful. The cushions are totally finished. And as we were picking out, I, I saw there was a little sign on the back of one of those chairs obviously for the whole batch. This church was started in, in 1960, this specific one, and it said, donated by the Children's Church of East London Congregation in 1959. And when I saw that, I was like, that's special. We're talking about planting churches. I'm trusting God that they, we would step a little bit into something that God had placed upon this church group, that as a church, we would step into it. We're sharing the office for those who are not familiar with the general synod of the Dutch Reformed Church. And I'm trusting God that we would continue there, take in a sense the baton from them, that they would continue to do what God's called them to do, but we'd be able to learn and step into that of planting churches to the point where our children's churches would have fundraisers, where our children's churches would say, how can we contribute to a church from East, a church, children's church in East London? How do we contribute to a church that's being planted up in Pretoria? There is something about that. And so we're planting the church, as I said, in Claymont today. They've got their first service. I want to ask that God would raise up, pray that God would raise up harvesters. Spoke about this towards the end of last year as well. God will raise up harvesters to go into his harvest, specifically in the context of church planting. So if you guys could join with us as we begin to pray, you can pray about it now already. But as we look forward to February, give us a bit of heads up. Today is 23. We've got another week before February starts. To think about it, to pray about it, to plan if necessary our schedules, to even begin to inquire of the Lord, to say, God, what must I fast? How do I fast? How regularly do I fast? But Scripture doesn't tell us that. But Scripture does hold before us that fasting is something that should be normal to the Christian life. Can we stand together? I would love to pray for all of us.
Father, I want to just honor you this morning that you did send your son, that the bridegroom has come, Lord. That we can, before anything else, we can celebrate that moment that Christ has come and we have tasted and we have seen, Lord. That you have poured a glimpse of your goodness, Lord, into our lives, over our ministry, over our, our families, Lord God. You've done that. We want to embrace that. We want to acknowledge that, Lord. We want to thank you, God, that you have washed our sins away, Lord. That you have cleansed us, even as we sang thank you earlier. Thank you, Jesus, for the salvation of our souls, Lord. And perhaps while you're here, I want to just take a moment before we carry on. If you're here and you are not sure that your sin is washed away, that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, perhaps you're here and you're wrestling with guilt and shame and awareness of all of your wrong and trying to figure out ways to make it right, I want to say to you, you can stop right now. You don't have to try and figure out ways to make it right because you cannot make it right. But Jesus has already made it right. I want to invite you to step into that. And a little bit later, we're going to be praying for some people. And if that's you, I want to invite you, please come forward. I want to pray with you this morning that you would come to know that Jesus has already made it right. And Father, as we just thank you for that, Lord. Thank you, God, that we can fast, Lord. God, thank you for that engagement with the Spirit, Lord. Thank you, God, that somehow you have set up the spiritual to work this way, Lord. That when we pray, you hear and it moves your hand. And somehow when we fast, it, it does something to our prayers, Lord God. It allows us, Jesus, to hear what you are saying. A little bit more than we hear what we are saying, God. It allows us to step away from our own desires and dreams and our own self to step more onto your page, Lord. And so, God, as we head into this month of February, God, I pray that you would reveal fasting to us, Lord. God, that fasting won't just be something we've heard of and we've done from time to time, but it would truly be a revelation of something that you deposit in our spirit, Lord God that in our individual lives and as a church, we would grow in the discipline of fasting, Lord God, of seeking your face, of hearing your voice, of worship. God, I pray that you would make us hungry for your presence, not only hungry, but that you would satisfy our hunger, Lord God. That we would be hungry for your leading, God, and that you would satisfy that hunger, Lord. That you would make us hungry for your power, and that you would satisfy that hunger as we fast in the coming years. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your time this morning. There is coffee and tea outside. Do hang around. Have some coffee and tea. I want to encourage you, perhaps have a conversation with somebody that you haven't yet spoken to this week while you're having coffee and tea. But before you have coffee or tea, if you need someone to pray with you, perhaps you are here this morning and you don't know that your sin has been washed away, that the bridegroom has come, I want to invite you to step forward. We want to pray with you. Maybe there's something else happening in your life and you want someone 
to pray with you. Maybe God's speaking to you even about church planting and about stepping out in that way. Take a step, come forward, and let's inquire of the Lord together. Let's pray together over those areas. If you need prayer, please don't leave without having somebody pray with you. God bless you. Have a phenomenal day for that. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.org.